Welcome to the Living Jewishly Podcast. I'm Dr. Elliot Malamud. And I'm Rabbi Yossi Saperman. And I'm Rabbi Bluth. We talk about Judaism, and we talk about living, and we talk about everything in between. And what it means to be Jewish and human in today's world. Judaism is not nearly as boring as I thought it was. We're not selling you on Judaism. We're not selling you on living. We're just trying to get you inside of our brains, the way we think about stuff. And the way we feel about stuff. And we'll try to be as real as possible. By getting you into our Jewish brain, you'll argue a lot, you'll disagree, you'll love, you'll eat, you'll have a really good time, you'll learn a lot of things, and you know what? You might actually find that all those 3,000 years have been worth it. And maybe we'll even come out being better people for it. Welcome to Sacred Time, a podcast from Living Jewishly where we explore the healing art of the Hebrew calendar. My name is Bluth. And my name is Gunga Devi. And together we will be exploring the wisdom of each of the 12 months of the Hebrew calendar as they relate to our lives today. Our intention for this podcast is that it be rooted in tradition, blossoming into relevance in the present moment, and lead us all to the ripening of a beautiful Jewish future. Welcome to the podcast for the month of Elul. And welcome to the podcast that's going to usher in our new year. So it's yes. the Elul podcast, but it is it is arriving us into Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, to the high holidays, to the new year, to the birthday of the world and of humanity. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So tell us a little bit more about that. Why should we care about Elul? What's going on in Elul? We are now in the full moon of the month of Elul, and Elul is the preparatory month for Rosh Hashanah. Elul is a month where they say, that God, the king, the source, the divine creator actually comes down to the field, comes into the field where we are working, where we are toiling, where our lives are human and messy. On Rosh Hashanah, we head up into the palace. And on Yom Kippur, I would say we head into the gigantic car wash for the heart. But it's in Elul that God is with us in our mundane moments that we feel the sacred in what is messy and human. Elul is also a time of the beloved. And I think there's nothing more on point than if God is in our messy moments, that, that is, that is beloved. You know, that is our, our like relationality and our intimacy is, is very messy, is very human. And so God, Anila Dodi, Dodi Li is the acronym for Elul. And it means that I am for my beloved and my beloved is for me. And what that means is, that God is the divine, that the sacred is in our everyday moments. It's not just in Shul or on Rosh Hashanah, but it's all the time. And that's really what relationality is. It's it's real. What are we preparing for in Elul? And what does it mean to be preparing for Rosh Hashanah? And what is Rosh Hashanah? Rosh Hashanah is the birthday of humanity. What happened six days before humans were created? The story goes that God created the world, that this infinite, endless, divine essence actually became manifest in the physical world. The world is the the emanation of godliness in that sense, according to the Kabbalists. And so on the 25th of Elul, six days before Rosh Hashanah, the earth was created. On Rosh Hashanah was day six when, when humans were created. Rosh Hashanah is also my personal birthday, so I feel like quite deeply aligned with it. And what happened? on that day that the humans were created? What happened on the day of Rosh Hashanah, right? If we are really looking at our calendar as our blueprint, our healing art, that we're constantly returning to the same points each year with a chance to explore what was 
the history of that moment in time and what do we have to integrate, to learn from it, to fix, to to do a tikkun, to, to heal from that event. Rosh Hashanah is the event of the creation of humanity. It's our birthday. And what happened on that first day, of course, was Adam and Eve are put into the Garden of Eden. They are told not to eat from the tree. And what do they do? They eat from the tree. But what's really interesting is that what happens when they eat from the tree? Do you remember, Kangadevi? Like, is that in your... Do they get punished? Do they get sent out right away? Are they like <laughs> puffed? Are they like abolished or like exploded in that moment? Well, it's funny because my Sunday school <laughs> teachings <laughs> were on an ashram <laughs> where I was raised predominantly Hindu. <laughs> However, my mother did teach Sunday school because she wanted she wanted us to know the Torah and the Old Testament. And she wanted us to have context for that. And so I have some some small memories, but it's not the strongest mythos in my world. But my understanding and my memory is that there was some carrying on that that happened. That it wasn't, that it wasn't an immediate, you know, the, the skies parted and sin entered the space and like, yeah. and everything was apocalyptic and, and the whole world changed all at once. What my exactly. understanding is that there was a rift in trust and a rift in shared reality and that that rift echoed until it, it came to a head. Awesome. Beautiful. So yeah, if we were to do a close reading of this text, we'll see that the punishment didn't happen right away as might have been expected. But rather, the story continues and there's this sort of very human moment where suddenly Adam, primordial Adam, realizes that he's naked. He hides. God calls out and says, like, no, like, what? Hello? Like, what? Where are you? Ayeka, what did you do? What happened? Who are you? What's going mm-hmm. on? And what Adam does in that moment is he doesn't answer with honesty. He doesn't say like, hey, I was really curious. We ate from the tree. It was delicious. Thanks. Sorry. Whatever. But he actually says, you've made me do it. And Adam's first response is actually a hiding and blame. And it's actually that I, I, I believe that the, that the tiku, the healing of Rosh Hashanah is to invite us actually. The problem wasn't that they ate from the tree. They did what they weren't supposed to do. They were curious. You know, they tried something. Yes, they broke a rule. But the problem was that when they were asked about it, they didn't, I don't know if they didn't have the safety or they didn't have the emotional maturity, but they didn't answer with honesty, with responsibility, with accountability. Adam blamed Eve. They blamed the snake. It was a blame fest. And in some ways, what Rosh Hashanah is, when we celebrate the birthday of humanity, we're actually looking back to that moment and saying, we have a chance to do that better. When there is this sort of call out Ayaka in every moment of our lives. Like, where are you? How are you checking in? Like life is hard and we do things right and wrong and whatever. That question of where are you? Where can we find you in this moment? We have the, we have the possibility. We have the opportunity now to step into that with responsibility and say, I actually feel like our real question right now is with climate. The world is created and we're celebrating the creation of the earth and the creation of humanity. And if we look around right now and we see what we are doing with the earth, it's mortifying and it's abusive and it's extractive and it and it is not sustainable. And so right now we have this opportunity of Ayaka, like, where are you? How are we going to respond to this? Are we going to say, wow, we've been living in a way that hasn't been good to our bodies, to each other, to the earth, and we want to do better? Or are we going to hide and say someone else's fault? and avoid and deny and all that kind of stuff. Rosh Hashanah is a time that is very connected to the earth. It's very universal. It is celebrating humanity. You know, not it's not just like a Jewish story. It's a collective story of the earth, of the 
humans of the more than human world, as our friend Rufi would say. And without getting too much into it, and I'll just leave maybe a uh, teaser for what comes after that is, of course, Yom Kippur. And Yom Kippur is the big cleansing, is actually forgiveness. On Rosh Hashanah, we begin this process of accountability. On Yom Kippur, we go through the journey of accountability towards forgiveness and cleansing and renewal. So these holidays that are coming up are so, they're such an opportunity for us to be looking at our lives, to be stepping in fully with humility and with honesty and with care for each other and the earth and to actually find find the capacity to forgive so that we can renew. I love that so much. And I love I love that you just said the word humility right there at the end. It's what was kind of ringing through my head the whole time you were speaking this question, where are you? And thinking about climate, when you brought that up, all these thoughts started rushing through my head of how important it is for us to be accountable for what we are truly accountable for, but also not to take on things that we're not actually responsible for. And to understand that distinction in, in, in the face of really big, wicked problems is, is a, is a big challenge. Individual people are not as culpable for these massive institutional problems as people who hold significant power. However, we are all a part of those systems. And because we are a part of them, we have choices. They might not be great choices and they might not be a lot of choices. But there's so many amazing people who are thinking outside of the box and opening up the field of choice for other people in response to some of the most massive challenges of our time. And that is a true process of humility. It's not constructive or helpful for me to drop into a state of despair about all of the things that I'm that I that I contribute to with regards to climate change, with regards to so many different forms of institutional ills. If I become frozen with my dread and and self-responsibility, then I can lose my ability to act. And if I am just saying, well, I'm not responsible for that, all those billionaires over there are, all of these other people are, then I also strip myself of of the ability to act and to choose. And I strip myself of the real freedom that I have. But my mother's definition of humility is to know your place and take it. And it takes a lot of continuous attunement and deep listening and awareness of what's happening in the world to truly know our place and take it. But when we're able to actually do that, then we can say, oh, I know that I'm not responsible for these things. And I know that I am responsible for these things. And I am aware of the actual field of action that I am able to, to choose. Where where am I able to act? Where am I able to choose? Where am I able to make a difference with regards to anything dysfunction in my family. <laughs> the whole range from from deeply personal to interpersonal to institutional, all these different scales. We can continuously be in a process of really actually seeking to understand what is my field of choice? What is my field of action and responsibility? And when we can know that truly, I, I feel like that takes so much of our like mental health challenges away. Like when we're able to stand in, in true humility and integrity, it's like, really nice. <laughs> like you're not because you're not operating from your shadows anymore. You're not feeling shameful. You're not blaming others. You're not creating more strife in your in your environment, which is what which is what Adam did. And it was so interesting as you were talking, I was like, ah, oh, is that the original sin? Because I I and I've and I've read some interesting commentary that's like God was expecting us to eat. The apple, like it was a, it's an actually, it's an important part of ma the maturity process to differentiate and to, 
to push boundaries and to to say, oh, you said not to do this. I'm going to just go half an inch beyond there just to see. That's something that every every human being does as they mature. That's inevitable. It's what teenage rebellion is and, you know, all of these things that that we're familiar with. We've all lived it to some extent. And I feel that a loving God would understand that we would do that. And I think that the interesting lesson here is to not is to not be ashamed of behaving curiously and being in our nature, which is to do the best that we can and to sometimes mess up and to sometimes push boundaries, all of these things. But the key is that no matter what we're doing, we have to have integrity and we have to have the ability to acknowledge what we've done and to acknowledge our place in it and not to take on not to take on anything except that which is truly ours and truly our responsibility. And it's so interesting that you talk about sin. You know, I don't like this word sin. And in Hebrew, the word sin, chet, is to miss the mark. means to yes. miss the mark. Like, but as we're speaking, I just realized that like, wow, so Yom Kippur, which is where we really bring in this idea of where have we missed the mark this year, right? And we go through the Aleph Bet, the alphabet, the A to Z mm-hmm. of Ashamnu, Bagadnu, I did this and I did this and I did this. And in some ways it's harsh. In some ways we're like tapping on our hearts. My beautiful friend Danny Cohen actually says, can you actually just bring your hand to your heart instead of mm. knocking, but with tenderness and just mm. say, okay, here's where I, where I tried. Here's where I failed. Here's where I'm going to try again. Here's where I succeeded and bring a tenderness to the heart. But yeah, this whole holiday season that we're stepping into does have this question of where have we missed the mark? But what you just brought me to think of was missing the mark. It actually just means where have we been unaligned? Where have we been acting not in integrity? That doesn't mean that we're following the law to the letter of the law and all that kind of stuff. That is that humility that you're talking about of what is my play? What is my capacity? What is my potential? And am I in alignment with my values? And am I inner and outerly kind of doing that? So I love that. I've never thought of the connection between the sort of sin and quotations of the Garden of Eden and then what we're doing on Yom Kippur which is mm. taking that accountability. But you ask this question of like, wouldn't God understand? Wouldn't a God understand? Like we're human. God's created us human. Of course, we're going to eat from the We have tree. curiosity. We have we curiosity. Want, we want, we want to know what is happening. <laughs> Gorgeous curiosity. <laughs> and it makes me think though, that is the, that is the spiritual technology of Yom Kippur. Mm. Yom Kippur is that moment where we tap into actually the historical experience of divine forgiveness. Where we're given second chances. If Rosh Hashanah is connected to the story of creation in the Garden of Eden, the story of Yom Kippur is actually connected to the sin of the golden calf Mm -hmm. and the receiving of the second tablets of the Ten Commandments. And they say what happened on Yom Kippur so many years ago was that after this whole saga of Moses receiving the tablets, Moses coming down a bit late, the Israelites, having done the thing they weren't supposed to do, create this golden calf, this idol. Moses smashes the tablets. It's a disaster. What actually happens on Yom Kippur is the story of Moses going back up the mountain. God saying, I'm going to forgive the people for what they did. We're going to have a second chance. And the second chance is actually going to be a stronger, a more resilient, a wholer version than the first chance God gave Moses the tablets and 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 there they were. The second one was much more of a co-creation. Essentially, Moses, you know, more of an inscribing of, there was just more human involvement, you know, and those were 
the tablets that continued with us, Harold Kushner says it beautifully. And I would like to pull up his quote. So give me one second here. I, I say this every year at Chul on Yom Kippur. So Rabbi Harold Kushner says in his Yom Kippur sermon in 2013, said it beautifully. Saga of the golden calf, God's anger at the people, Moses's intervention and God's forgiveness raise an interesting question. When something breaks, something that was precious to us, is it ever possible to put it together again so that it is as good as new? It would be nice to believe that a God of second chances would make that possible, but the reality seems to be no, you can't. If it's broken and repaired, it will never be the same. The crack will always show. But what a God of second chances does is make it possible that you will end up with something in its place that will be even stronger and better than the original. That's the crack in the first set of tablets. The loss of the dream of perfection. Now the challenge facing you is, can you replace that dream of perfection with a more realistic one that will make allowance for human frailty? Can you give yourself and those around you permission to be human? On this date so many years ago, on Yom Kippur so many years ago, God forgave the people who built the golden calf. He forgave us for being human beings and hopes that we would learn to forgive each other for that as well. I love that so much. And so, so much of that really brings to mind a lot of Jungian psychology perspectives on the human shadow, which I know we've, we've touched on in, in some small ways throughout this podcast. But the thing that comes to mind most strongly with all of this is like the way that I understand the shadow is that we come into this world and as, as babies and as infants, we are shameless, you know, in so many ways. And pure and beautiful, just like we were before the original sin in the early days of Eden. At some point in our development, all of us have the trauma of registering that in our brains that something about us is unlovable. And often it happens because we we observe a caretaker judging us or someone else in a certain way and we and we take on that judgment inside of ourselves and then we do everything that we can to ignore deny or cover up that thing in us that we learned was unlovable and that is where shame and blame come in and that's where we project our shadows onto other people we're like oh that person's that way and i'm protecting myself from believing that i could be that way too because that would mean that i'm unlovable or we or we just have shame on ourselves and we, we over project that the, that challenge, whatever it is, the quality at hand that is unlovable. We ascribe it to ourselves and we believe that we are unlovable at, to some degree within ourselves. And that is where our shadows come in. It's like parts of our wholeness that we have sliced off from ourselves because of our shame, because we believe that it's unlovable. And I feel like that's what happened in, in the garden, right? It's Adam was like, Oh, if if I am honest about what happened, it will mean that I am unlovable. And so I need to protect myself by blaming Eve. I need to give her full responsibility and not take any responsibility for myself because I want to maintain the state of pureness and wholeness and being being lovable. But that's how all of our shadows are formed and the shadows just perpetuate themselves and they just build and build and build on themselves. And I love what you said. It's the loss of the dream of perfection. I, I often say that I think that people say perfection is the enemy of the good. And I say that perfection is the enemy of integrity. Mm. When we are so committed to this idea of being per mm. perfect and pure and pristine, then we lose all of our opportunities to have real integrity because the truth is that we are human. We make mistakes. We cause harm when we didn't mean to. We participate in things that 
are much more harmful than we realize until it's too late. And we, and I think that like the more humanity is awakening to our, the, just the dynamics of institutional forms of harm, the more we feel confused and conflicted and shameful about the ways that we contribute to things like systemic racism and colonialism and extraction culture and climate change and all of these things. We feel so much shame and dread within ourselves and we take on all of those shadows. But the power of this time is is that we can bring all of that to the light and bring it all to the surface. And we can, if we really take the spiritual technology of the High Holy Days seriously, we can do a lot of really powerful work for our own integrity. It's amazing. And, and we can give ourselves, and by, and when we do the work of healing our own shadows and bringing them to the light and being, and loving coming, because that's, that's the, that's the point of shadow work. Like shadow work is not about like, naming your shadows and like killing them, you know, or like overcoming them or anything. It's about seeing where our shadows are, seeing where we've rejected ourselves and loving ourselves gently and generously enough to to come back into our wholeness. And one of the things that I love so much, and I, I've written a lot about this, I have a, a whole workbook on my website that's the gold in our shadows. I've, I'm really passionate about this, is that some of our greatest qualities can actually come from having held shadows for so long. Like if there's something, something in me that like, for example, there's, there's a lot of shadows around finances in my family and shadows around power and finances with my father. And if I didn't register like all of these shadows and, and have all of these conflicting messages inside of me that made me feel shameful and, and uncomfortable with money and power, for many, many years, then I wouldn't have actually had the opportunity to really go deep into those things and and choose what kind of relationship I wanted with money and power. I would have probably been operating on uh, on a default that I didn't actually choose, that I didn't actually participate in in the creation of the relationship that I want to have with money and power. And so stepping into this this more empowered relationship with these things, I'm able to I'm able to actually benefit from all of those years where it was a huge struggle and it was a huge shadow for me. So I, what I'm thinking in regards to this, in regards to this, this powerful time in the calendar is if we can recognize, oh, this is where I've been missing the mark. This is where I've been out of integrity. This is where I've been out of alignment and actually recognize though, what are some of the possible benefits and blessings and lessons, even if it's just lessons? from this time of my life, even if it's been my entire life where I've been missing the mark in this way, how can I learn a lesson from this? And how can I, how can I do better? How can I step into integrity? How can I take personal responsibility for that which I am personally responsible for? It's a really beautiful, powerful time. And we have this opportunity every year and throughout our lives all the time to really look at this <laughs> and really be, be able to forgive ourselves. And at, just as you said, just as Harold Kirscher said, by giving ourselves permission, we also give the people around ourselves, around us permission. And that is so loving and so beautiful and so healing. And if we're going to do better, we need to do that. We need yeah. to. Yeah. And all of that is so poignant as we are around the 25th of Elul right now, which is when the earth was created, that we are really being called into all of that work, particularly in relationship to the earth to Pachamama, to Ima to Mother Nature, as we see climate gearing up around us. And it's kind of nice, actually, that the high holiday season is sort of sandwiched between the 25th of Elul, the birthday of the Earth, 
and Sukkot, which is really our festival of going out into reconnecting and realigning with the natural world. A shameless plug for the Sukkot podcast with Elliot on Elliot's Mental Health Podcast, where we really talk about climate change and Sukkot. But I think all of this talk of integrity, it's like, it's this deep inner self-work. And the time right now is asking us to do that in as we assess our relationship with the the earth, with climate change, with her capacity to hold us with with an environmental justice lens, right? It's not just a psychological process. It's also a that process as it manifests in the world, it's in, in, in our actions today. It's not just individual. It's how we are relating interpersonally, as you said before. And I love that this time in some ways, you know, if we're starting with this Anila Dodiva Dodili of Elul, the, the king is in the field, you know, in our very individual, personal lives and struggle. And it brings in the sense of the beloved, right? Anila Dodiva Dodili, the, the, the beloved is present in this month of Elul. And then together we sort of go to the, the royalty of Rosh Hashanah into this process of Rosh Hashanah. And in some ways, that process with the birthday of the earth is bringing us into this global earthly scale. And of course, the cosmic scale, right? That's, there's a very multi-leveled process here, personal, interpersonal, institutional, global, earthly, cosmic. Yeah. It's not just a new year is coming up. We're, we're really at a pivotal point of self and collective reflection. Chuva, you know, this turning inward and turning Rosh Hashanah. It's like, the, the head of change. That's what it means. It's like we're starting, we have an opportunity to build our next year to be written together in the book of life, in the book of aliveness, in the book of life and resource and sustenance for everyone, for not just me, not just you, not just the Jewish people, but for all of those who are created in God's image in this beautiful created world. Yeah. There's this really amazing exchange of self and other that I'm just now registering with the, that I am for my beloved and my beloved is for me. And thinking about this in the context of, of everything we're talking about, I want to kind of invite everyone listening and invite myself and invite you, Bluth, in this moment to really just like breathe deeply and feel into that which you love. Whatever, when you think the word beloved, whatever comes to mind and Yes, this can be the divine. And yes, this can be earthly love. And yes, this can be a beloved four-legged friend or a few of them. It can be the collective of humanity and all of life. Whatever it is on our terms that is our beloved, just settling into this idea that I am for my beloved and my beloved is for me. And there's such a like tenderness, like a tender sweetness and generosity of spirit that I'm feeling into with that one phrase right now. And it's like this this beautiful reminder of love and the, the of mutualism. And of I I think that we we find it so much easier to love and forgive the people that we love, the things that we love, the 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 entities that we feel connected to beyond ourselves so much more than ourselves. And I love the self-reflective exchange that's there, that I am for my beloved and I give myself to my beloved, to all of my beloveds. And then also, uh, and my beloved is for me. I can receive that which I give as well. And, you know, so many of us struggle with that. We're so, it's so much easier for so many of us 
to give to others, to love others, to extend forgiveness and kindness and generosity and understanding to others. And it's so difficult to receive that from ourselves and from those same exact people. And that is a really important aspect also of shadow work. That's something that I really, I really emphasize in the shadow work resources that I've created, which is that our shadows are often created. The shame that we have, the self-rejection, the misunderstanding, the missing the mark often happens in relationship with others. And so it, it can't be completely undone in isolation. You can't just do shadow work on your own. And I don't think that it means that you need to do shadow work necessarily with the people who your shadows originally arose with. But we do need to do our shadow work with somebody else who's willing to bear witness to us and to love us unconditionally. And so whether that's a therapist or a beloved companion or someone that you don't even know that well, but who you trust to hold that space for you, we need to have those experiences of deep, profound forgiveness and understanding from from other. And this time of the year offers that through time, through the divine, through community, through these rituals. And it's also accessible to us like all the time. Beautiful. I'm realizing now the progression of themes through these holidays, the love of Elul, the Dean, the judgment of Rosh Hashanah, right? The discernment, the, the, the sort of justice of Rosh Hashanah. It's called Yom Hadin. Then we go to Yom Kippur, which is cleansing, but it's also called like a Yom Shabbaton. It's like a big Shabbat. So the rest of Yom Kippur into Sukkot, Zman Simchatenu, the time of joy, and eventually into the, the darkness and the little lights of Hanukkah. And so there's something so jam-packed here from love, it's holding love, justice, rest, joy, grief. Like It really is an, an opportunity to, you know, you just said it's like we can access, access this at any time. It's so true. And we can also allow ourselves to feel carried right now by the what is coming up, starting with the 25th of Elul and then the Aleph Tishrei, the first of Tishrei with Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur. Can kind of keep going and just feel carried, really carried by our calendar, that we are in this work sort of individually, but collectively together. And I will share for our listeners now that we actually, with Living Jewishly, have a lot of beautiful offerings coming up, the six, the seven days leading up to Rosh Hashanah, the week of Slichot, where there's a tradition. The Sephardi tradition is for the whole month, and the Ashkenazi tradition is the week before Rosh Hashanah. There's a particular beautiful prayer series that we go through, and it's called Slichund, and it's about forgiveness, and it's preparing for the high holidays. But during that week, we are going to be offering our second season of Soul Brew, which is daily morning show, 15-minute videos from thinkers, creatives, artists, folks all around the world who are sharing with us what their souls are brewing, and ideas, and Torahs, and practices, and rituals for us. So that's something to look forward to and to tune into on social media and on the Living Jewishly website and in partnership with Bethsedek. And then we also have Living Jewishly High Holidays. We've got a broadcast for High Holidays that's going to bring in some alternative ideas and really interesting music to bring the joy, bring the lessons, bring the transformative power of this time. So everyone is invited to do whatever will be the most celebratory and empowering for them and just know that we've got some We've got some programs and resources coming up for you if you choose to join. Yeah, it'll be really beautiful. I know just a little bit from the from the back end uh, how much beautiful devotional work has been going into all of this. And especially with 
the COVID cases and a lot of places where a lot of us live to know that there's really beautiful, wonderful online High Holy Day materials that are created by some incredible rabbis and incredible thinkers, incredible people is really exciting. And I'm excited to to bring my family together in that space. <laughs> so as we wrap up our podcast for this month, we want to invite you all to just be with anything that might have come up for you in listening to this podcast, anything at all that might be within you that is asking to be to be seen and felt and witnessed. And there can be so many different types of of shadows and gaps in integrity in our lives that that emerge that we're it's really hard for us to see. It's really hard for us to look at. It's hard for us to even know that they're there. But this is a time where there is a lot of support for bringing stuff to the surface and the things that we really do need to look at. We invite you to to bring up, to look at, to journal about, to talk to people that you trust about. And this can be, you know, as mundane as financial anxieties that you're having or as profound as, you know, like massive existential things that you've been processing. There's a really wide range that's going to be different for everyone because we're all human and we have so much difference among us, which is so beautiful. And so again, with the humility of knowing your place and taking it, knowing what is yours to process and bring forward at this time is a challenge that's unique to all of us. We invite you to contemplate that, to allow it to come up because we will be going deeper into forgiveness in our next month. Beautiful. And just to add that while we do this cheshbon nefesh, this sort of accounting of the soul leading up to the high holidays, I also want to invite in the celebration. You know, there's this, if you go to Sephardi Slichot, it's this month-long prayer service that actually has a lot of energy and joy to it. Some of my favorite tunes come from those services. The Aned. Anyways, it's very devotional and, and beautiful. And why? Because we know and we trust that we're actually in a process right now of cleansing, of renewal. On one hand, we are looking inwards and doing our own integrity work. And on the other hand, we know that we are going to be forgiven and we celebrate the fact that we will be written together in the book of life. And so it's both a time to go in and a time to celebrate and to trust and to be deeply, deeply grateful by this opportunity to check in and vision what we want for our collective future and to start building it. So <laughs> to everyone listening, yeah, enjoy Elul, enjoy the Beloved, enjoy the upcoming high holidays. Please check out the Soul Brews, they're for you. And we'll see you next month. So probably after Yom Kippur and just before Sukkot. Beautiful. Thanks for listening to the Living Jewishly podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe. It helps more people like you find our show so that we can continue to grow the Living Jewishly community together. You can find us at livingjewishly.org and on YouTube and Instagram. Living Jewishly is living well with everyone.